Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 19 of Greens with Envy. I'm Matt Lowell, managing editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined remotely today by the magazine's editor-in-chief, Guy Cipriano, who is somewhere around 2,500 to 3,000 miles away from me. Guy, how are you doing? What's going on? And where are you? I am in a town called Forks, Washington. Have you ever heard of it, Matt? Uh... Isn't that actually where the Twilight books were sent? I had no idea that that was the case until I got here, and there is Twilight signage oh my gosh. and mementos all over the town. It's a town of about 3,000 residents <laughs> in the far northwest corner of the continental United States in a, on a lovely place called the Olympic Peninsula. Before we get to anything else about a beautiful part of the country. I feel the need to defend myself. I have not read any of the Twilight books by Stephanie Meyer. I have not seen any of the movies. I do not have a say in Team Jacob or whatever the other team is. The only reason I had Forks Washington in my head is because I have written that as a trivia question for some reason. I've written trivia on the side for the last nine years, and at one point I wrote a question about Forks Washington. So, not that there's anything wrong with being a Twilight superfan. I'm sure there are some superintendents who love the books or at least have read them to their kids. Uh, but that is the only reason I knew that fact. I feel like I'm in a Twilight zone because there's no golf course in Forks, Washington, and I haven't seen a golf course for nine days. Well, you did see a course, I think, right? And we'll get there in a few minutes. Before we get to anything about your trip out west and our essentially month of working apart from each other, uh, before anything else, we do have to plug probably my favorite issue of the year. Our fifth annual Turf Heads Takeover issue is coming up, the December 2020 issue, the end of a very strange calendar year. Guy, you have been on board for every edition of Turf Heads. This is such a great issue, and we always wind up getting such wonderful contributions, wonderful stories from folks all over the industry. It's our favorite issue of the year, Matt, because it's really what golf course industry's all about. Anybody that has something to say, an idea to share, a rant to put out there publicly, or who wants to praise their team, praise their facility, discuss their environmental achievements, discuss the science, discuss labor, whatever the heck somebody wants to discuss. That's kind of the essence of what golf course industry is all about. And uh, we encourage people to submit us articles at any time, but December we turn it over almost entirely to those submissions, and this is the fifth time we're going to do it. And there have been some incredible issues uh, because we know, and we're not arrogant enough to – not think this, we know that golf course superintendents and other people in the industry learn best from their peers, right? They learn best from somebody that's actually doing what they do every single day. And Matt, when you or I or one of our contributors writes an article and we have a fabulous team of writers, they're quoting a lot of the peers of our readers and we have a giant network of sources, but it's not the same as somebody putting the story in their own words. And, you know, the idea, we kind of got the idea when we go to these 
conferences and events back when they were having in-person events, which seems like a long, long time ago, we always noticed that the most well-attended events and the ones that are presentations and the ones that had the best reception and response were the ones that were were superintendents or assistant superintendents were the presenters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that peer-to-peer education. We were like, well, if that works well in the in-person event setting, why not put it to the pages uh, to to every page in an issue or every page besides our columnist and regular features. And it's been well-received, and we've gotten some fabulous contributions over the years. And the thing about it is it's authentic. Everybody's looking for authenticity. It's a bit of a buzzword in this day and age. Everything seems a little bit sanitized and scripted, and Turfhead's takeover isn't that. Uh, anybody in the industry can write. Anybody can write about whatever they want. They can write as long as they want, uh, we encourage people to keep it uh, at at least 750 words because that's the a standard one-page column length with images. So it's really open to all, and that's kind of what golf course industry is all about, is that we're not an association publication. We don't have an agenda to, to, to drive or members to serve. We, we have readers to serve, and our, we know that our readers come from different places and different spots in the industry, and we want to be that voice of where, where anybody can feel comfortable telling a relatable story or a story that they think is relatable, or heck, if they just want to honor their team for what their team's done through this crazy 2020, Turfhead's takeover is the place to do it. And we're really excited about it. We've already had some interest from some people. Uh, we're approaching October here, and usually the, the, and the deadline for submissions is by the end of the first week of November. And we usually get momentum around mid-October when the summer and the cool weather parts of the country has subsided and superintendents finally have some time to think and they're done with that 100-day grind or now it seems like it's a 130-day grind with some of the September temperatures that we're getting across the country. And yeah, we're just really excited about it. And I encourage everyone to think about writing an article about what they've gone through this year or anything else in the industry that, that is... Uh, either bugging them or something that they think can help people. And, yeah, we read and edit these, but, uh, you know, unless it just uh, personally attacks someone or it just uh, makes no sense whatsoever that, you know, we have to put it in a translator, odds are we're going to edit it, clean it up, work with you, uh, make it a collaborative process here, and it's going to run in a national publication. And there aren't a lot of national print publications out there, so how often do you have a chance to do something like this and, put it on your resume. Right. And if folks are uncomfortable with writing even seven or 800 words, we are happy to work with you through that process. It could even be if you have no writing chops whatsoever, but you are wonderful at talking, you're wonderful at getting your ideas out in the oral form. We could even do an as told to. We're happy to work with anybody to get these stories out, because that's the important thing, is just getting the stories out that need to be told, that that need to be shared with the industry, especially this year. And they don't need to be stories necessarily about 2020. I'm sure most of them will be. But the importance is just getting these stories out, whether they're about 2020 or anything else about this great industry. And think about it. Is you, you could write an article for a website, and maybe it's on the main page of the website for a few days, a week, and then it sort of goes away, right? And it's sort of Sometimes they get recirculated on social media or an e-newsletter or some type of search en- engine result, but there's really staying power in this, Matt. Like, 
like I said, there aren't a lot of national print publications around it. How cool is it to have something you could physically hold in front of you or or photocopy it or we'll send you the PDF if you write for us or we'll send you extra issues or frame it, put it on your wall, save it, show, show your friends and family, uh, show your crew. I mean, this is a great opportunity to honor your crew and let, let the entire industry know about what you and your team have gone through this year and what you've accomplished. And uh, it's one thing, like I said, to write something and it just kind of gets lost in cyberspace. This is something that's permanent and something that you'll have in front of you for a long time. And many of our turf heads take over contributors over the years have done it multiple times. Mm -hmm. And they also, they have found it extremely fulfilling and rewarding. And for some people it's even helped raise their profile in the industry and has led to some speaking opportunities at events and some name recognition. And, you know, if you're not going to tell your own story or promote yourself, who's going to do it for you too? That's what makes them awesome and great in a lot of ways is that humility. But uh, we live in a, a world where if you want to advance your career or uh, maybe create some opportunities for yourself, it's not like a lot of superintendents or assistant superintendents have agents working for them, right, Matt, that go out and do that. This is an opportunity to do it. But more than anything, I, it's a really fulfilling and rewarding process and a chance for you to showcase a talent that you have and you just don't know you have. Certainly rewarding, certainly cathartic. Something else that was rewarding and cathartic, I think, for you, you have wrapped this up, I think. Uh, You wrapped it up before your trip out west, and that is your first experience with a golf league. You wrote about this guy in the September issue in your editor's letter, the Hooligans Golf Club, and you left early every Wednesday uh, there were weeks you played a bonus nine even. You would play a full 18 holes, uh, nine holes of warm-up. And, and I heard a lot of the stories that I'm sure you can't share on air. But now that you're wrapped up, now that you're finished with your first golf league, what were your experiences? Because you hadn't, you hadn't done, you'd done almost anything else and everything else in the industry uh, to one degree or another, but you'd never played in a league. Well, for starters, you need someone competent, working for you to be able to just jet out a few hours early oh, one please. day a week and big praise to you, Matt. And then there's a lesson here for superintendents. Sometimes superintendents think that they have to be there all the time or the job doesn't get done. And that creates major issues. That not only creates major issues for the superintendent and his or her own personal life. If you feel like you have to be at the job all the time and you can't go out and pursue something, whether it's a, a family activity or something that you enjoy doing because you feel like things are going to go wrong if you leave work for an hour or two one day a week early. So that creates issues. And it also creates issues for the people working for you because the people working for you ultimately, in most cases, want to elevate their careers. And if they see you there all the time, they get the sense that you don't trust them. And needs to be teams. No one can do a job by them. There are very few jobs in this world, Matt, that you can do by yourself, right? Like, there, there are a few, but they're, in a lot of cases, not very profitable ones. I can't. They're ones that you can sustain a life life uh, with, you yeah. know, without having other people involved. Can I you think, think of any admit. jobs? Uh, I mean... I'm I'm thinking of like my side hustle for the last nine years, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, is writing trivia. 
and I write the trivia, I host the trivia, I own all the equipment. Uh, but even there, I need research materials, so somebody had to produce those, and I need a venue, and I don't own the bars. Uh, we've been on Zoom for six months, and so I'm more self-sustaining there, but I don't know how to program Zoom, so we need something there. You think of anything else in terms of anything in athletics, you know, even think of a golfer. Well, you know, you're out there and, you know, you've got a caddy. Well, you know, that's one person. Well, then you've got a coach. That's another person. You've got maybe some nutritionists. Uh, that's another person. You've got the entire infrastructure of the PGA Tour, the LPGA. Uh, that's a whole team of people there. There's There are no solo jobs. There really aren't. No, so that leads me into a, you know, one, one thing there is I, I guess I've finally come to that realization, and I should have come to that realization a long time ago, that, that me leaving for an hour or two a week isn't, is never really going to affect the whole entire operation. I think sometimes we let our ego and pride get in the way, too, and think that. And I was thinking, what are, with us traveling less and being around Northeast Ohio a bit more this year, what is something that I, I really want to do that I haven't done with my life? I'm 40 years old now, and uh, in late winter I got an invitation to join a Wednesday night golf league from a, a friend of mine, and now my, my initial inclination was, well, how am I going to leave work at 4 p.m. every Wednesday to get there on the other side of town here in northeast Ohio by you know, 5 p.m., 5.15 p.m.? And then I'm like, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to make it part of my routine. I'm going to commit to it. And it was an absolute blast. We play at a course called Baba Lake, which is a family-owned uh, facility on the far west side of Cleveland in a suburb called Avon, Ohio. It's owned by the Fitch family. They've had it for a few decades. Uh, it used to be a, a sod farm, of all things, and now it's a 36-hole golf facility. So I leave work at 4 p.m. on Wednesdays, and I would jet out there, and we play a different nine each week. And we started in April, and I kid you not, Matt, uh, with, with a practice round, and it was snowing that evening. I now, remember. It was about 40 degrees and snowing. That's northeast Ohio weather. Anyone that knows the Great Lakes region knows that you can get some zany things, and I think Almost everybody in the country would say that their their region produces zany weather unless you live in the the desert or San Diego or a place where it's just uh, rinse repeat with the weather. But yep, we started in the snow and we had uh, nights where there were big thunderstorms blowing in. As we got off the ninth hole, there were nights where it was probably ninety five degrees, and we've just ended here in September, and it was just an absolute blast. I think I. Made it all but three weeks, uh, around 20 players in our league. Uh, it's called the Hooligans. My friend Christi Christian Trimble invited me to join, and now I feel like I have 19 additional friends because of it. You play someone different each week, so it's a great socializing opportunity. I've gotten to play golf um, on Wednesday nights with people that work in different fields that don't work in the golf industry or the publishing industry like we do. And I would feel that, that that's made me a stronger person getting to know these guys and hear what their uh, jobs have been like this summer and makes you realize sometimes that the problems you're facing at work aren't as bad as the problems that people are facing in some of the other industries uh, that your friends work in. And, and the Fitch family has been great hosts at Bobolink, uh, Brian is the golf course superintendent, and you see him there every Wednesday night. He greets people. He's riding the course with his wife and child. I mean, he's there until darkness, and uh, they, they produce a, a fun place for golf leagues. They have over 50 of them, and 
Their play has been going bonkers this year with more people working from home because of COVID-19 and not traveling as much. And yeah, they lost a lot of outings, but they've made up for that in daily play. And uh, I know for the golf facilities, they love having that repeat business each week. You know, we have usually about four foursomes every Wednesday night, and that's business that the uh, the league can count on. And yeah, our, our league does an early nine too, so some people get there at three o'clock and play nine holes before we do our league play. And one of those things that I've always wanted to do that I I, I just kept putting off or just kept saying it's not realistic, I can't do it. And I was thinking of more reasons, Matt. Sometimes we think of more reasons why we can't do something instead of why we can do something. Would you agree with that? Of course. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And our, our time on this earth is only limited, and I'm so glad that I did this. And I'm sure there are things that you want to do here moving forward that I know you've mentioned you wanted to eventually be a cross country or a track coach and you might have to slip out of the the office when you do that and we'll find a way to get our job done we're just a two-person internal operation we have great uh, external contributors that help us out and submit wonderful articles and columns but we're just a two-person operation and if we can make it work in a two-person operation where we can go out and do some of the things that we want to do with our life and still work hard and get the job done, then why can't somebody that has, you know, a half dozen, 12 people, 24 people find a way to uh, get out every week? I'm not saying we've worked early every day and there's ways to make it up too. It's all about time management and it's about balance. And I found myself coming in earlier on Wednesday mornings or Thursday morning getting in earlier. And we, we found ways to get the job done because um, that's just what we do. And, and like I said, uh, I'm glad that I kind of let the shoulders down and, and said, heck, I'm, I'm going to do this this year. It's one of the more enjoyable things I've done away from work here in my 18-year writing, editing career. Jeez, it's almost been two decades I've been doing this stuff. So you were in this league for about five months. Uh, you played different people every week. What are some of the great stories that you can actually tell on the air, Guy? Boy, that's a good one. I don't really want to <laughs> rat anyone out. I will say this, though. I've learned a lot about what the average golfer thinks, too. Okay. Uh, I would say that joining this league has made me better at my job and has given me insights into what the people that are playing daily fee courses are thinking. Um, as we've talked about before on this podcast, we play the bulk of our golf on daily fee courses in northeast ohio and even when we travel we're primarily playing daily fee courses we occasionally get the opportunity uh through work or through a friend to play a private club and we enjoy that but we're we're daily fee golfers we're municipal golfers we support the local courses in northeast ohio and elsewhere Uh, we support the, the the cleveland metro parks golf courses that are near our offices office we're at all the time but i really and i i play with my father and some other friends but this kind of made me realize just how diverse the daily fee golfer is and what they're looking for. You know, we, we talk with people that are highly motivated and golf course superintendents and assistant superintendents and their supporters, and they think that they're being analyzed all the time by everybody that plays golf. And sure, you have that 1% or 2% that does uh, let the golf course conditions and aesthetics just affect how they treat people. But for the most part, especially at the daily fee level, people just want to go out, spend a Wednesday night with their buddies, maybe have a few beers, 
maybe go out and get a bite afterwards, play some music from the cart, just go out. And for them, it's more of about, yeah, yeah we keep score in the, in the league and we have playoffs and we do that type of thing. But it more it's more about just the recreation and the release it is. And especially this year, it's been a tough year for a lot of people. It just hasn't been a tough year in the golf industry. I mean, a lot of the people in our league work sales jobs and just hearing how their work has changed this year is a bit disheartening. But they, you know, and a lot of the guys in our league have children that they're trying to homeschool. And that that two hours on Wednesday night is something that really keeps them going or keeps them sane. And you realize that, that it's more about, it's more than whether the, the, the bunkers are raked and have playable sand and green speeds and, and that type of thing and fairway striping. It's more about just the camaraderie and the release that golf provides. That's the most important thing. I know as you get to the private club level, the conditions are a lot more scrutinized. And Bob, the conditions at Bobolink are great. I mean, it's, it's a fun golf course to play. Uh, the greens have been outstanding. Brian and his team do great with the, uh, the crew that they have and the price point that they're at. And, yeah, I'm trying to think of crazy stories, though, that I can tell on the, on the air. Uh, it's a good one. We have a uh, Keith Macy's in our league who is a, a golf nut. Uh, he's had two hole-in-ones hmm. this year in league play, uh, which is pretty remarkable, right? Like how many people go their entire life and don't have a hole-in-one? And two, 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 two in the and, same season. Yep. And he was last year's champion, and we did I mean, how cool is this? Uh, in the later portions of, of this season, we did a champion's dinner for Keith winning last year. And a food truck came to the course, and we just hung around and had some beers. And you, you talk about golf and life and all the different courses that people have played. And it's kind of cool to hear uh, where some of these people that work sales jobs who travel a lot for their jobs, the opportunities they get through golf just to connect with customers and clients and how that helps them. And uh, crazy stories. Jeez, you really put me on the spot here. I should have wrote some down, but I, I'm out here in Forks, Washington, uh haven't really thought about golf league as much as I've been thinking about it. I almost think about it every day when I'm at home. I, I can't wait till Wednesday nights and we've been playing on weekends together. And, uh, there've been a lot of opportunities to play outside golf league just through posting things on Facebook. If you're looking for a tea time, uh, hmm, I might give this one more thought as we go on here, Matt, and have something for you later in the podcast. Your talk about the, wonders of municipal golf of daily fee golf there this isn't so much a question for that part of the industry but when we were talking about the planning of this episode you wanted to talk at least for a couple minutes about the distance debate and i think this is in reference to the u.s open at winged foot which wrapped up a couple of days ago and you wanted to ask especially in terms of bryson DeChambeau, who won by six strokes should courses bend to pro players, or even a single pro player bombing their balls farther. Now, there aren't many municipal courses that are going to overhaul because of the distance debate, but there might be some private clubs and some championship courses that do. I think I know the way you're going to lean on the question, but what what do you think, Guy? Should should courses bend and, and redesign because pro players are hitting the ball too far? Matt, what are your thoughts on this? You're starting to play more golf and uh, watch more golf and really getting that uh, urge to be out there. How do you feel as a still 
somewhat of a newcomer to the industry, although you're a year and a half in. How do you feel about these debates? Well, it would be like you or I trying to step onto a Major League Baseball field and hit the ball 400 feet off a wooden bat out over the center field wall. It's impractical, and that is why adults play beer league softball where there are no outfield fences and you just need to hit it over the head of the person in center who may have had too too many beers. It's the same thing. You go out to a course, you're not going to hit it 350 or 360 or 370 perfectly straight. Maybe you get one of those around or two of those around if you're if you're a good player. Uh, but it's just the pros are pros for a reason. And while it's great to be able to share the space with them, uh, it, it, there are different there are different playing parameters. You know, regular people are not NFL players and shouldn't take hits like them. Regular people are not Major League Baseball players and should not hit 400 foot homers. Uh, you can you can bowl on the same lanes, you can run on the same courses, but you're not doing it as effectively. Pros are pros for a reason. There's one Bryson DeChambeau, and and that's probably a good thing. I've been thinking about this debate for for years, and I, I, I right after the U.S. Open ended, or even during the final round, you started hearing some of the one percenters I, I call them say that something needs to be done immediately by the USGA and RNA. And I, I think about it like this: Bryson DeChambeau shot six under at, at Wingfoot. He was the only player under par. Matthew Wolf was at even par. Wingfoot is just one golf course. Uh, with two courses that host the U.S. Open right now every 15 to 20 years, are we going to completely change the game because one person shot under par on a course that hosts the U.S. Open every 15 to 20 years that has a, a couple hundred members? we got to think about the masses with decisions. We can't mm-hmm. think about those one percenters. And unfortunately, the one percenters drive a lot of the decisions. But we're having this distance debate when Jack Nicholas was coming along it was an intense debate, and then when Tiger Woods was coming along, it started again, and now it is with Bryson DeChambeau and some of the other players now. So this debate has always been popping up over the last five decades, and I, I think about it, uh, how it affects golf course superintendents and how it affects the average player. Now, with golf course superintendents, you speak with them, and you hear about some of the challenges they face and issues that they're going through, whether it's politics at their club or or finding labor is usually the finding and retaining labor is usually number one, or some of the stresses that are created because of zany weather and uh, you know uh, deferred capital improvements. I've never once heard a golf course superintendent tell me that our golf course is having issues because it, of the distance it is. It's just too tough to maintain a golf course that's X number of yards. They find a way to get it done. Uh, the, the smart People in the industry know that there are different ways to uh, design and maintain golf courses uh, regardless of the yardage and hit the budgetary number that they have to hit. But we go back to talking about the golf league, and I've never have heard a recreational golfer say, man, my, my drive went too far. This is bad for golf. I've had people who have uh, friends or colleagues or others that have you know, add it 15 to 20 yards, and it seems like the enjoyment of their game has increased. So really, I understand that golf courses are are 
getting longer because of the chance. Not all golf courses. In fact, you know, you make the argument on the recreational side, things are actually getting shorter and more compact. So, you know, really we're talking about maybe a dozen, two dozen uh, elite private clubs with a, a, a few hundred members at each one that host a big tournament every now and then. And maybe uh, they're, they're every now and then at that big tournament they host, if somebody goes uh, under par or shoots a bonkers, score to end the tournament are we really going to change the game because of because of that because of a bryson dechambeau or dustin johnson or, or or tiger woods uh you know if you talk about having a dis- different uh equipment and golf ball for the the pros and amateurs maybe that's a conversation we can have but completely overhauling everything for everybody because of those facilities with a few hundred people uh, that host a big event and somebody goes under par at that big event. No, it's not productive for anybody. All we need to do to Bryson-proof courses, as Augusta National tried to Tiger-proof for so many years, and I have not read many stories today, so I don't know if Bryson-proof is a term that has been used in any number of stories yesterday and today, but all we need to do to Bryson-proof courses is just give the guy a lead ball. You're right, equipment. Just give him a lead ball. That's all you have to do. Change the equipment. Well, I started a golf course industry in 2014, and this is going to lead to something we're going to discuss here into the podcast. And I was thinking of, I was actually thinking about this yesterday while hiking along the Olympic coast of the Pacific Ocean. Weird time to be thinking about this. I was thinking, what was the most exciting U.S. Open since I started working at golf course industry? And it would have been 2015. At Chambers Bay, and what what is Chambers Bay? It's a it's a big, wide golf course with uh, fairways that are seventy to a hundred yards, and the bunkers aren't uh, perfectly maintained hazards. They're very well maintained, but they they they're more hazard like. They're kind of rougher. Uh, the greens are big, and it's a it's a daily sea course uh, owned in by Pierce County, Washington, operated by Kemper Sports. Uh, if you live in in Pierce County, Washington, you can play it for I think fifty, sixty, seventy bucks. Uh, if you're from out of town, it's it's a three-figure green fee. But that was the most exciting U.S. Open since I started working at golf course industry. For the uh, the ones that maybe don't remember, it's where uh, Dustin Johnson three putted from eight feet on the 18th hole, which was a par five, and Jordan Spieth won uh, his his uh, second major championship, and it was just incredible drama. Uh, the, there were some Issues that week with course appearance, which is, which is a uh, subject for another podcast. All I know is that I had a chance to play Chambers Bay two months before the 2015 U.S. Open, and I'm about a nine handicap, and it was the most enjoyable golf experience I maybe have ever had, arguably. But what was that? That was a big, wide golf course that, that the, the average golfer can play and enjoy it with not getting beat up too much, and it also tested the best players in the world, so maybe instead of making things longer and narrower with a heavy rough, maybe width is the way to neutralize the advantage that somebody like Bryson DeChambeau has. I think golf has a way to to correct itself too, and we're not going to see Bryson DeChambeau win fifteen no majors or sixteen majors, whatever it is that Tiger Woods has won. He's not going to go on that type of run because there there's so many good players and. The other thing that people forget is that just how far the the athlete has advanced since 2006 when the U.S. Open was last played at Wingfoot. Matt, you used to cover sports. 
I used to cover sports. We're both runners. We try to live a healthy, active lifestyle, and we do that with some levels of success. Why don't we give the athletes some credit? I mean, Bryson DeChambeau used the COVID-19 period probably wiser than anybody in sports. He assessed his game, uh, thought about a way to get better, to give himself a tactical advantage, uh, comes out after the restart, and I'll be darned, it's, it's working right now. He, he, he won the uh, Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit and then becomes a major champion for the first time in his career. And uh, professional golfers of 2020 are nothing like professional golfers of 2006. And golfers of two, professional golfers of 2006 were nothing like the players that we watched in the 90s. And those players in the 90s were nothing like the, the players who came up through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. They're athletes now. They are, they are eating well. They, they are working out every morning. They're doing cardio. They're, they live active, fit lifestyles. You see a lot of them go hiking and paddling and that type of thing when they're not on the golf course. They're not closing the bar down at, at 3 a.m., drinking whatever some of the, the, the golfers of the past used to drink. So why don't we give the athletes some credit in this whole thing? And, again, I'll go back to the point where when I'm out in league play or, or, or with friends, I, I've never heard anyone say, I'll be darned, I'm hitting the golf ball too, too far. This is bad for the game of golf. And I've never heard a superintendent that I've interviewed in my six-plus years of golf course industry say that my course is in trouble because of the – the yardage that's just something i've never heard right those those golfers are not out there uh dressed sort of like a christmas package christmas wrapping paper sneaking cigarettes uh as ian woosnam did on his way to winning the green jacket in 1991 (laughs) a couple of travel notes this week guy you're on the road i'm gonna be on the road next week for a little bit not really a vacation but uh, an excuse for my four-year-old to hang out with her grandparents for a few weeks, and my wife and I are working remotely. So you are out west, and you mentioned Chambers Bay a couple of minutes ago, and we'll end with these two notes. You mentioned Chambers Bay a couple of minutes ago, and you had the chance to go back to Chambers Bay last week. You didn't play it, but you were walking around it, and you were espousing the joys and wonders of golf courses as public parks. Yep, so we landed at SeaTac Airport on a Saturday early afternoon, and our trip is in the Olympic Peninsula, and you can't just, there isn't a road that goes right from SeaTac to the Olympic Peninsula, even though they're not that far from each other. You have to drive around the peninsula to get to where we were going. The first town we stayed in was uh, called Port Angeles on the northern tip of the peninsula, and we landed, got our bags, of course, did the most Seattle thing and went right to a, uh, a drive through coffee stand. No, it wasn't uh, Starbucks. It was actually one of the local ones and, and got hyped up on caffeine. But we had this two-and-a-half-hour drive in front of us, and I'm with my girlfriend, and we both wanted to stretch our legs. And I go, I think I know a place where we can hike that is right down the road that's on the way to the Olympic Peninsula. Well, that place happened to be Chambers Creek Park which has a hiking trail called the Chambers Bay Loop. And the Chambers Bay Loop is exactly how it sounds. It's a loop that goes around Chambers Bay Golf Course. In fact, you even go between some of the the holes. And I I knew about it from my visit in 2015, and I believe it's been extended and the park's been enlarged since then. But you start up on a road, 
and it overlooks the whole golf course, and you, you, you start looping around it, and then you, you dip down, and you're right by the Puget Sound where the train comes by, and the, the uh, 17th hole is the par 3, and you can see the 18th tee and the, some of the old remains from the, 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 the quarry pit that used to be there, and then there's a huge public park, just this giant, well-maintained, green space right on the uh, the sound and the day we got there the wildfires were bad you couldn't see much and the weather was so so but there's still people out picnicking children playing in the playground running around and everybody can see the golf course there and i was thinking boy this makes chambers bay even sweeter i think some of the trail was done when i was there in 2015 but not the whole thing so i'm hiking around uh around it with my girlfriend and we've just gotten off the plane and it was just a great outdoor walk walk despite some of the wildfire smoke which was uh horrific uh and she's starting to ask questions about about the golf course and the people that are out there and i'm like how cool is this that, that this is not only a a golf course it's one of the uh really best public access golf courses in the united states one of the best golf courses in the united states arguably i know it has some detractors but i totally dig chambers bay and like i said it might have been the most enjoyable golf experience i've ever had and we're just walking around this thing, and it's a great. It's a great, not only did the county build a golf course that has hosted a major championship that attracts visitors from all over the world, but more importantly, produces an amenity for the for the taxpayers of that community at, a, at an affordable price. But it, it's also, if you're not into golf, it's a chance to chance to walk around and use that that vast acreage as a park. And anyone that lives in a heavily populated area knows that anytime that you can add a park or a walking, a hiking multi-use trail, that's a big win because urban land is becoming more and more limited. So just ter- terrific tie-in, and hopefully we see more of this where where trails are opened up around golf courses or even through golf courses. And uh, I'm sure there have been people that, that were golf detractors and then saw that, that, hey, you can incorporate a public walking space, recreation space in with the golf course and uh, thought, hey, maybe, there, maybe there's some really – awesome benefits to golf that we didn't quite understand. So uh, this is something that could be done at other places. I know it's tougher with an established course. I mean, Chambers Bay is a, a fairly young golf course, but you, you do it, you, you find ways to do it, and it, it's a great situation for everybody in the community. And even my girlfriend has expressed an interest in possibly swinging a golf club after walking around Chambers Bay. Now, she thinks all golf courses are like that. I had to explain to her <laughs> how this is sort of an, 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 an anomaly of a golf course. But, uh, yeah, just what, what a wonderful park and what a wonderful place. And it's something that they've done at St. Andrews now for hundreds of years, incorporated public park and green space in with the golf course. And it certainly can be done on United States golf courses, too, with uh, the proper uh, vision, planning, and leadership. Well, your girlfriend, L-Dog, as she is so affectionately called, I think before you left had expressed an interest in playing Chambers Bay, which you so kindly told her was not realistic given her lack of background in the sport. But your point in terms of Chambers Bay and public paths going through courses like this, you're right. It opens the game up to anybody who wants to use that trail. It shows the course off to folks who might not otherwise see it. And there are so many zealots out there, some of whom for some reason pop up in my Twitter feed, uh, usually around major time, uh, who say things like seize all the golf courses and turn them into public housing, or 
this should be a public park anyway. And, and you've made the point often, and lots of people make the point often. If these weren't golf courses, they would probably just be housing anyway. They would be 10-story condos, or they would be parking lots. And it's a lot better off as a golf course than anything else. So the fact that they are made more accessible is only a good thing. Well, and Chambers Bay took a huge environmental negative uh, mm-hmm. and banned it. Uh, sand and gravel quarry, and it's now a huge positive with the golf course in the park. You could build houses there. You right. can't do much of anything else with the land. Now, it, it costs a lot, and it's a discussion we can have for another day. Is, uh, and not every place is going to have the ambition that Chambers Bay had to, no. to bring a, the national championship to the Pacific Northwest for the first, first time, but there are ways that it can be done, and everyone just has to be a little creative because we're certainly not getting more green space in this world, especially in the in the, the, the urban areas, and especially Seattle-Tacoma, which is one of the biggest markets in the country. There isn't a heck of a lot of green space around besides golf courses and a, and a few parks that have been there for a long time. Now, Seattle and Tacoma probably have more green space than some other major cities just because of the way things were planned and developed here and the location on the sound, and people just live more active lifestyles on, on the West Coast and other parts of the country for whatever reason. Probably the weather is the, the, the main reason you can just get outside and do more. Even up here, there isn't really a harsh winter uh, in Seattle, Tacoma, or the Olympic Peninsula. There, You can go out and do things year-round in, most, in, in a place like this. Pretty much from Seattle down to San Diego, you can go outside and do things year-round. But uh, I'm sure the trail gets way more visitors than the, the golf courses. You'll probably you're probably in a couple hundred thousand people visit that public park and well, trail each year with you, I guess. Well, if it's anywhere close to that, that's incredible. Uh, so you have that bit of travel. I have a travel as well. I'm driving down to Florida with my wife. Driving? We're driving 1,250 miles each way. Did you say, did you say the D word? Yeah. That's going to be a, a great time of year to drive through, uh, the Appalachia and the mountains and then into the southeast, and the temperatures are going to be a lot more manageable than they usually are. Wow, that's going to be a, a, a special drive for you and your family. We are already preparing by downloading a lot of movies on Netflix and Disney Plus for the four-year-old, for Margo. Uh, but we are heading to Florida. We're heading to an island. And I found out last week, and I haven't been able to make any tea times yet, but I found out that... The place where we are staying, there's a nine-hole course right on the Gulf of Mexico, uh, either designed or redesigned by Chip Powell, who's a Florida-based architect. And I think pretty much everything is a waterfront hole because this part of the island is so small. My parents have been going there for years uh, on Captiva Island, and I've never played the course. And so you have free green fees every day if you are a guest of this resort, so I'm just going to play, I think, if I can, every single morning in a little nine-hole course, not even 1,500 yards, uh, take 90 minutes or so to go out and play and, and come back and do the rest of the uh, the day's work. But I'm looking forward to it because I can walk. I can walk to the course. Uh, it's, a, it's a short, not super intimidating course, beautiful locale, and... Uh, you're giving me the the freedom to not be tethered to a computer from 9 to 5 every day. So thanks for that. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing how many rounds I can get in. If I can get in 10 or 12 rounds while I'm down there, uh, it'll be a successful trip from a golf perspective. We 
have not been able to identify or locate the superintendent of this no, golf course. No, it's so weird. Responsible for maintenance. So if anyone in Florida out there is listening and knows who that person might be, contact Matt or I because we potentially want to profile this golf course in Absolutely. our short course stories series. And I'll, I'll do some and digging while like I'm down to, there, too. Matt would, like, Matt would love to meet that person. Yeah, I'll do some digging while I'm down there. But yeah, the Captiva course on Captiva Island, it's at South Seas Island Resort. Again, a little Chip Powell, not even 1,500 yards, I think like 1,445 yards. Beautiful layout. Um, I've seen it for years, but have never played it. So yeah, if anybody out there knows the superintendent of the Captiva course, let us know at uh, Matt Lowell on Twitter or GCI Magazine Guy on Twitter, M Lowell at GIE.net, G Cipriano at GIE.net, or uh, or just, uh, I don't know, call us or, or send a carrier pigeon, smoke signals, however you communicate in this wild year of 2020. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe uh, the moment this podcast goes up, we'll, we'll, we'll hear from somebody that knows somebody and will have made the connection. Well, that is it for episode 19 of Greens with Envy. When we come back with episode 20 in a few weeks, uh, I'll have some thoughts about the Captiva course. Between now and then, there are more great podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network off the course conversations with superintendents, directors of agronomy, other turf heads about their lives outside of work. A new episode of Beyond the Page coming up soon in early October, diving a little deeper into some of the stories from the pages of GCI. Guy has episode 51 of Tartan Talks in the works. That'll be up in the next couple of weeks as well. Everything available online at our website, golfcourseindustry.com. Also available on any major podcast platform, Apple Music, Spotify, etc., etc. If you like it, If you like what we do, give us five stars. I don't know. I guess that's a thing to say on podcasts. For Guy Cipriano, the editor-in-chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine, I am Matt Lowell, managing editor of GCI. For everybody else at GCI uh, and the Superintendent Radio Network, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace out. skies you've ever seen are SCM And the hills the greenest green Like a beautiful child growing up free and wild Full of hopes and full of fears Full of laughter, full of tears Full of dreams to last the years in Seattle when it's time to leave your home